Well, our gospel lesson today is found in the book of Acts. And uh, Luke is writing here and he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, well, we're starting something new today. We are starting a journey through the book of Acts, which if you happen to open up a Bible at some point, look at Acts, you're like, that's pretty big. Uh, when you preached through Philemon, that was kind of short, and it still took you four weeks. How long is this going to happen? Uh, there's always a, a little bit of, 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 of a process when you, you start something new, you start a new series, start something new in your life, uh, where you've you got to figure out kind of what's going on. And so we're starting the book of Acts. And we're trying to get a feel for what it's going to, to be like almost. And so Luke writes this introduction. And he's, he's trying to, hey, this is, this is why I'm writing this to you, to a guy named Theophilus, which is fun to say. And uh, so we're, we're getting started here. And a little bit of background in this. Is, so we, we've got a couple, couple of names that we need to learn about. We did this in Philemon too, where, hey, well, who are these people? And so we're going to start a little bit with this guy named Luke. So you might remember that earlier in the Bible, I think there's another book called Luke, right? And so Luke actually writes a vast majority of the New Testament in these two books, the Gospel of Luke and then Acts. Now, Acts has been called a number of different things by a number of different people. It's commonly, if you open your Bible, it's the Acts of the Apostles, um, so it's, it's, it's what the apostles did after Jesus was gone. Uh, other people call it the acts of the Holy Spirit, because one of Luke's big emphases in both his gospel and this letter is the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Godhead. And so there's, all, there's these different ideas, well, acts of this, acts of that. Uh, some, some just say it's the gospel of Luke 2. Uh, hey, well, this is really meant to be one continuous letter. If you want to get the whole idea of what Luke is writing about here, you actually start with Luke, you read the whole thing, you don't stop, and you keep reading through Acts. It's one big story. Uh, Luke is a doctor, as we find out later. Uh, Paul, in some of his letters, refers to Luke as the good doctor. Um, not like a Doctor Who kind of doctor. He's not a Time Lord. Um, but, uh, well, he could be. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> possibilities out there, but uh, as far as I know, Luke's not a time lord, and, uh, but he is, he is a physician. Some say that he traveled with Paul for a lot of the time he did because Paul had some health problems, and so Luke stayed with him. Uh, Luke writes the, Luke is actually commissioned to write these two stories. So Luke's kind of a scholar. He's a, a little bit of, of a nerd, like a history nerd. You ever meet history nerds? Like there's nerds, then there's history nerds, and they're, they're really nerdy, and uh, I would know, and uh, they're my people. And, and so Luke is commissioned 
to, and this is probably a little bit after he does all this traveling with Paul, he's commissioned to write all this down and say, hey, you know what, can you chronicle the story of Jesus and then what happened with, with these apostles? Can you get this all in a coherent, like, hey, let's front to back, here's what happened. And so somebody with some money probably had to commission this because it's funny you think about Luke had to travel to all these places and talk to all these people to figure out, hey, what happened? Because for a lot of the story, Luke wasn't there. Luke doesn't appear until about halfway through the book of Acts, actually. And so he, he, Luke is, went and he, and he talked to all these eyewitnesses of what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and he writes it down, and he, and he puts all of this together. And that was a big deal back then. Because there was two ways you got, well, three ways really you got places. You got there on foot, you got there on horse, or you got there on boat. Uh, none of which are pleasant ways to travel long distances. I don't know if you knew that. Um, so Luke had to go all over Israel and all over the, this ancient part of, of, of the Asia, yeah, West Asia, and, and all these places to find out what happened. And so Luke does all that, and he writes all this down. And so he, he writes both Luke and Acts to this guy named Theophilus. You'll also notice that in, at some point, it does start to become Luke's story as well. Because we're reading Acts, and he'll talk about, well, Paul did this, and Peter did that, and Paul went here. And then at one point, the voice of the letter shifts, and he goes, we did this, and we did that. And that's because Luke, Luke enters into the story. And so Luke, writing both of these, he was probably commissioned by Theophilus. Um, so Theophilus is addressed in the, in the Gospel of Luke as the most excellent Theophilus, kind of a Bill and Ted sort of feel. Excellent. The most excellent. And it's likely he commissioned these letters, probably a, a guy with, with some money. Um, you, you'd think that Luke had money, right, because he's a doctor. Anyone here ever met a poor doctor? That doesn't happen super often. Um, although it's what they pay for medical school, it does now. Uh, <laughs> but doctors often were educated in, in ancient Rome, but they were also often um, slaves. Uh, so they were educated slaves who, who, who were physicians. So they, they often, sometimes they ended up as freemen, but it wasn't as affluent of a position as we, we kind of think of it today. Oops, excuse me. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> get the frog out of my throat. Theophilus probably paid for all this. So he paid for Luke to go to all these places and to get this letter put together. And so when Luke writes it, he addresses it to him. Although it would have been intended for the early church and for it to be distributed, he attributes it to the person who donated the money for it, which is a pretty cool legacy for Theophilus. He's like, hey, you know what? I gave to, to, to do, make this happen, and this becomes part of the Bible, which has lasted 2,000 years. That's a pretty cool legacy. And so we have a former book, the Gospel of Luke, which is recording the things that Jesus said and did. And in fact, Paul says it that way. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he's saying, hey, you know what? I wrote about all these things that Jesus did. I wrote all these things that Jesus taught. And uh, until the day that he was taken up, which is going to kind of retell that story here. 
Um, but the, there were some distinctives to the book of Luke. If, if, you, if you read kind of the, the scholarly stuff and you read the book of Luke, you say, okay, well, Luke has an emphasis on the poor. So Luke pays a whole lot of attention to how Jesus treats the marginalized of society. So the people who the Pharisees ignored and the Sadducees just stepped over, it, it emphasized that Jesus had compassion for those people, that he loved those people, that they were his focus. The Gospel of Luke also focuses on discipleship, the, the, the call that Jesus gave to people to follow him and, and what that looked like. And that Jesus called people in, in, into a radically changed life. And then lastly, and interestingly enough, as we go into this letter, is the Gospel of Luke has a huge emphasis on Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit. You see, time and time again in the book of Luke, it says, it talks about the Holy Spirit and then Jesus does. The Holy Spirit and then Jesus says. So there's an emphasis on God's Spirit in the life of Jesus. And so Luke keeps much of the same strategy for the book of Acts, but it shifts from what Jesus did to what the church continues to do in the same way. And so Luke does an intentional shift, and, he, and he's pointing out that, hey, here's the ministry and life of Jesus, and here's how Jesus takes that, and as he leaves, he passes the baton to this next group and says, hey, you guys go and do this. You know, and they, sometimes you, you read about, like, or you know someone who's on a track team, and they run, and they run the, the relays, right? And I never did that, uh, but, you know, I've heard about it. And they always say the most important part is how you pass the baton. Um, you can run really great, but if you drop the baton, the race is lost. If you fumble it and they have to take a minute to grab it, it it's lost. It's, it's best when you're running, you hand it and they go and there's no hiccup at all. It's how you pass the baton. And so this is showing how Jesus passes the baton to the church and, and how, how that worked. And that kind of leads us into our, our passage for today. And so, in the former book, he, Luke writes about what Jesus was doing and teaching up until when he ascends into heaven. Or this, this series is, is Acts, Ascension, because we're focusing on these events around the ascension of Jesus in, into heaven. But it starts with this idea, you, you can't understand ascension unless you understand incarnation. And so, incarnation is, is talking about how God came to earth, became flesh, and dwelled among us. In fact, incarnation, the middle word there comes from, from the Latin carne, uh, which isn't just chili. Uh, it's, it's this idea that somehow God incarnated himself into human flesh, that he became human, that he lived the same life as we did in, in human flesh, but didn't sin. And then it goes on, and then we were going to talk about ascension, because just as Jesus came, Jesus in the same way, was taken up, uh, which would have been kind of crazy. Next week, we'll talk about the, the apostles are going to be standing there, and Jesus is just going to go. <laughs> and can you imagine you're standing there and talking to Jesus, and he just floats up uh, like a helium bloom that you've let go of. There goes Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus comes, and then he goes. But significantly, the, the point is that Jesus doesn't ever die. He's raised from the dead, and he's still raised from the dead today. There's, there's other stories in Scripture about people being raised from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead with that famous little section of Scripture, he stinketh. 
when Jesus goes and raises him from the dead, Lazarus still dies. Lazarus didn't die then. He died then, he came back, and then later on, Lazarus died. Uh, other people, Paul, Paul raises Eutychus from the dead after he falls out of a window because he preached too long. And uh, that's in the book of Acts. That he falls out of a window and dies, and Paul goes and lays his hands on his raised from the dead. Eventually, Eutychus still dies. But Jesus doesn't die. There, there's no reason to go visit the tomb of Jesus. He's not there. There's no reason to do it. He didn't ever die. And so to, to start, there's kind of two important things that, that I want to have us take with us today uh, from this early part. Is One is that Jesus didn't die. Um, just keep that in mind. As we go through all this, this is, because this is a big point Luke is making. Um, and it's a foundation for our faith. Like we opened our service with a video with the Apostles' Creed that talks about some of the essential things that we believe as Christians. And one of those is that Jesus was raised from the dead and that Jesus is still alive today. And, and Luke takes that from start to finish in his letters. He starts with, with the birth of Jesus uh, by the Holy Spirit and he, he ends it with the ascension. And in, the, and in there he talks about the resurrection because Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. So two things we want to keep in mind through this whole book as we transition is Jesus didn't die. The other thing to keep in mind is that Jesus didn't cheat. Because it's easy to think that Jesus' path was simple and that it was every, he knew everything that was going to happen because he was God. Right? Jesus was incarnated in human flesh. And he, was, he always is and always will be God. But when Jesus came, even though he had access to all of his divinity, he didn't cheat. He didn't lean into his divine. And in fact, as it says that Jesus lived his life the same way we live ours. And so that's why Luke points out over and over again in his gospel that Jesus heard the Holy Spirit and then he acted. So in the same way that we're to, hear the, we're to listen to God's Spirit, Jesus listened to God's Spirit. Jesus didn't cheat. And so when Jesus was hungry, he didn't lean into his divine nature and make himself not hungry anymore. When he, when he was tired, he didn't say, well, I created the universe so I cannot be tired anymore. He didn't lean into that. And, and when Jesus was, was, was angry and he's clearing the money changers from the temple, when, when he was in pain on the cross, Jesus didn't cheat. He experienced everything about being a human just like we do. And he, he, didn't, he didn't do anything different than what we have access to. He didn't cheat. He lived the same life that we're called to by the Holy Spirit. And Luke points that out. He says, and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. So even the resurrected Jesus gives instructions through the Spirit. Just like we're supposed to. Even after his ascension and defeat of death, he still listened to God's Spirit. It goes on in Acts 1-3 and it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He gave many, pre presented himself and gave convincing proofs that he's alive. So you have Thomas in scripture who had to, to touch him. You know, I won't believe until I feel the scars on his wrists. And so Jesus said, hey, okay, go ahead, believe. 
And Thomas is the first written in Scripture to declare Jesus as God after his, his resurrection. It's my Lord and my God after he touches his wrists. Peter ate with him. Jesus even showed himself to crowds. So Luke's documenting this. Luke wasn't there for this. He says, hey, you know what? After Jesus suffered, he presented himself to people and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. So Luke's saying, hey, there are lots of people who saw the resurrected Jesus and believed that he was alive because he gave proofs that he was. And not only was, was he alive, but Jesus spoke to them in that time of 40 days about, about the kingdom of God. And, and what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's sovereign rule in human life and the events of history. We, we talk a lot about, about the kingdom of God, and, and it's, it's just God's rule in, in, in humanity and in the events of history. And it's where God is in charge, is where his kingdom is. It's his kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. And this whole idea has a lot to be kind of anchored in an, an actually an ancient Roman idea that the church is co-opting as you go into to church history. And because there was this ancient Roman saying that everyone knew, which was Caesar is Lord. Because the Roman emperors claimed to be gods on earth. And so they, they would tell you, people would say Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And so the church co-opts this and says, no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. Jesus' kingdom is come. Jesus is Lord. And this is, was actually subversive because the early church knew that what they were doing was subversive. They, they knew that it wasn't, it wasn't just uh, something that was going to be peaceful, but they knew if they, if they declared Jesus as God, that it was going to, to ruffle some feathers. We saw, we saw that's true in history because most of the early church became martyrs. Uh, they were killed for what they believed. And so they, they would say, instead of Caesar is Lord, they'd go, no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. So Jesus is speaking to them about this new kingdom of God, this new thing that God is doing in the earth. And Jesus is Lord, and that's still true today. So wherever we bring God's subversive kingdom, we can be in the middle of what Jesus is doing even today by his spirit. So they're beginning something new, and they're beginning something new in God's kingdom in this area. And that, that thing spread and has changed, and it's been a crazy 2,000 years. Um, but even today, Jesus is Lord, and the places where we go and where we allow God's sovereign rule in our lives and in our church and in our communities, then, then God's kingdom is there as well. We bring God's kingdom into our neighborhood. And that's how, you know, what's our mission as a church? We want to change the city and change the world. And, and, you, do, and you do that one little God's kingdom subversive act at a time by loving one person when they don't expect it and they don't deserve it. By, by being the person in your neighborhood who, who, who is the one who does what nobody expects. Oh, well, why would you clean up all the trash in front of my house? Well, because I'm a part of, of, a, of a quietly subversive kingdom that is saying that Jesus is Lord and, and is showing love to people. And so it goes on to say, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, well, there you go. Jesus is eating again. Um, And I love that. It gives me hope uh, because... We talk about the resurrection of the dead. It's another thing in the Apostles' Creed that we believe that, that it's not just someday I'm going to die and I'm going to sit on a little cloud with a harp. Uh, to me, that sounds boring and I don't like a toga. So uh, I'm not digging that. But if the resurrected Jesus eats, that means on the other side of eternity, I'm going to get to eat, uh, which is real exciting because hopefully at that point, that much eating will no longer make you rotund. And so I'm excited that Jesus is eating, because that means someday, if the, when history is, is all culminated and, and the resurrection has happened, I still get to eat. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um, and so Luke's whole first letter, letter, letter showed that Jesus didn't cheat, that Jesus chose to limit himself to the same resource that we have for our day-to-day lives, which is the Holy Spirit. And so Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that a lot. And so we we see that that Jesus preached by the Spirit, that he healed by the Spirit, that he did miracles by the Holy Spirit, that he fasted for 40 days by by the Holy Spirit, that he resisted temptation by the Holy Spirit. And Luke's making the point here to anyone who reads his books that the same Spirit that empowered Jesus is about to empower the church. That same, all the things that Jesus did by the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit is coming to live in the church. And so he, he talks about the, this idea that for John baptized with water, but in a few days we baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about the word baptized. We've talked about it before, but maybe some of you weren't there. The word baptize is the Greek word baptizo. Sounds similar. And it's translated baptize because when King James commissioned the King James Bible uh, several hundred years ago, he was part of the Church of England. And the Church of England baptized with a little sprinkle. Right? So they'd sprinkle people. And if you go back into ancient Christian documents, uh, like the, the Didache, um, it talks about the, the order of baptism, where if it's this kind of water is available, baptize in that. But if it's not, baptize in this. And if it's not, do that. If it's not, do this. And finally, at the end of that list, and this about, about 100 years into the church this was written, uh, then finally you can just sprinkle people with water, and that's an acceptable baptism. And so it's not that sprinkling is, is, is and church history is an old thing, but it's not bad, but it was the only option in the Church of England under King James. You did not immerse people. It, it was something you could get killed over. And so when these scholars are, are translating King James' uh, King James's Bible, he, they say, okay, well, you know, if we translate this Greek word, baptizo, as what it actually means, which is to immerse, then the king's going to kill us. And so instead of translating this word as immerse, we're just going to call it baptize. And we're going to use that word because that's safe and doesn't get me killed. And so the word, uh, whenever you see this word baptism, it's actually the word baptizo, and you can directly translate that as immersion. Here's the, this verse in the contemporary Eric translation. Uh, For John immersed with water, but in a few days you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. And this is important because if you've been baptized, whether by sprinkling or by immersion, however you've been baptized, uh, typically the, the illustration is that you go under death to sin, you come up life in Christ. 
death to sin, life in Christ. You come out of the water because if you didn't, your pastor will kill you. Will, will kill you. Uh, eventually, you have to come back out again. Um, but the idea that, that Jesus is speaking here is that, hey, John did this with water, but I'm going to immerse you with the Spirit. And so it's not this thing where a one-time event where you, you, you go under like a baptism, then you're done. I'm, I'm done being immersed in the Spirit. But instead, Jesus is giving us the idea that, hey, I'm going to immerse you in the Spirit. You're going to stay under once you come to know me as Lord and as Savior, I'm going to give you my spirit, and it's not going to go away. That's why later in one of his letters, Paul talks about being filled with the spirit. And it's a verb there is, is in a tense called present progressive. And really, it, you can't translate this in English, but it's be filled with the spirit and be filled with the spirit and continually keep being filled with the spirit is this idea of what Paul, in one of his letters, is commanding us to do. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving, but when I do, you're going to kind of get something better, because God's Spirit is coming to the church. And instead of there just being one of me, and I'm the only one who can do this stuff by the Holy Spirit, what I'm going to do is I'm going to empower all of you to do the kind of things that I did by my Spirit. Where Jesus is saying, hey, there's just one of me, I'm going to go so there can be all of you. And so that's what we need to live the mission of Jesus. Jesus has a mission, and therefore go into all nations and preach the gospel, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all the things that, that Jesus commanded us. It's the mission of Jesus. And it's funny because it's not, like, it's not that the church has a mission, it's that Jesus has a mission, and the church gets to be a part of it. We get to be a part of doing what Jesus told us to do. And so as we start this book of Acts and we start learning about all this stuff, we really have to start with this foundation that Jesus, what Jesus came to accomplish through history starts with his ascension. Because through his ascension, the Spirit comes and we can do the things that Jesus did. So two kind of closing thoughts here. First off, the thing that we think we can't do, the thing that we think we can't stop doing, the thing that we think maybe has defeated us, hasn't, because it didn't defeat Jesus. Jesus, by the Spirit, was able to live a perfect life. And we're never going to be as perfect as Jesus, but we can stop making excuses and saying, I, I can't do that. Or, I can't stop doing that. Or, this thing, I'm not going to be able to beat it. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that, that Jesus tapped into to live a sinless life, if we believe in Jesus, that same power lives in us today. It, that those things didn't defeat Jesus, so we can stop saying, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. You can, because God's Spirit lives inside of you. The second thing is that Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, said wait, and, and, my, spirit will, and my, my spirit's coming. Wait, and Jesus said, wait, because there's so much that we can't do on our own that we try to do on our own. The, the church could have started trying to preach. The church could have said, okay, well, Jesus is gone, so we're going to start on this whole Jesus' mission thing. But Jesus told them to wait for the Spirit, because in and of ourselves, we can't do it on our own. And that's the essence of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that 
even if we're broken and we can't do it on our own, even if, even if we sin and we know that we do things that God doesn't like, we can't do it on our own. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we can't do it on our own, but we can do it through him. We can through his spirit in us. Pray with me. Jesus, today we are, we are not defeated. But Lord, for each of us, as we've made that decision in our heart to believe in you today, you've given us your spirit. You've immersed us with your spirit so that we can have the strength that, that you give us to do what you've put us on this earth to do. That we can overcome hate. That we can overcome selfishness. That we can overcome pride. And be who you made us to be. And so today, I pray for all of those who believe in your name, Jesus, who declare you as Lord, that you would show them your spirit in a new way. And it's not something superstitious or creepy, but it's the, the excess that we have to the God who made the universe. That just as you dwelled in, in the temple, that you dwell in our hearts. So God, help us to see what you are doing through your spirit for each of us and for this church so that we would do what your spirit is already doing. And for anyone here today who maybe hasn't made that, that first decision to believe in you, Jesus, they would know that wherever they're at, that we can't do life on our own, that we can't fix our lives on our own, the, the, the sin and the hurt and the brokenness in, in our lives. It's nothing that we can fix on our own. But Jesus, you already came to deal with the sin of the world. You already came to bring life to the world through your death and resurrection on the cross. And by believing in you today, Jesus, and saying that you are Lord and God, that we can find life today and we can find forgiveness and all those things that we couldn't fix on our own, that Jesus, you fix those as we believe in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that for each of us, that we would see you new today in your name.